think we need to pray after that. Father, thank you for the gift of your word to us. Thank you for that interaction of the angel with Gideon and the way that it brought him from a place of fear to a new place, a place of peace. Lord, guide us this day, we ask. Amen. So I wonder what you fear, friends. I wonder whether it's spiders in the bath. Or maybe it's the dark. Or maybe you fear flying. Esther's made it, has she? She's alright. Okay. Maybe you fear heights. Maybe you fear public speaking. Maybe your worst fear is talking about Jesus. Because you don't quite know what to say. And actually it's quite easy, isn't it, for fear to dictate our actions. If you're afraid of something, you tend to avoid it. I'm not particularly keen on, on, on climbing ladders, so I try not to. Unless I've gone to visit my mother-in-law. In fact, you will go out of your way, or even go without things, to avoid facing a fear. We've had that passage from, from Judges 6, haven't we? Where Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now the place you're supposed to thresh wheat is at the top of a hill. Where there's a little bit of breeze and it looks like this. Uh, yeah, like that. There you go. You toss it up in the air and the chaff blows away and the wheat falls to the ground. But if you're going to do it in fear of the Midianites, because of course we've had it already in that passage that uh, the Midianites came and they stole all the crops. Um, so if you've actually got some crops to thresh, you're going to be so close to getting something to eat that you're going to do it not up on a hill where you create a cloud where the Midianites will come and steal it all from you, but down in a wine press, which looks apparently a little bit like this. They tell me this is what a wine press looks like. I don't really quite follow how you press the grapes and get the wine out the bottom. But anyway, um, it's a kind of a pit thing, isn't it? Because you're trying to contain liquid. You're pressing grapes, you're trying to get the liquid out of it. This is not about getting rid of dry chaff. So you're threshing away, threshing away even, in a wine press, trying to separate out without really much help of wind, wheat from chaff. And you're doing that, Gideon's doing that, because he's afraid. Because he's afraid of this, not quite conquering, but certainly raiding Midianites who turn up pretty much out of the blue, probably most Friday afternoons, looking for food, their protection money perhaps, however you might want to describe it, but certainly they are a menace to the people of Israel, so much so that we've had it that they go off into the mountains to hide because they don't want to be caught up by in the Midianites, in the Midianite raids. So there's Gideon trying to thresh his wheat in a wine press. And the angel of the Lord turns up and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Not much mighty about this warrior. 
Maybe faithful, maybe trying your best in difficult circumstances. But actually, I wonder whether the angel is seeing the potential where we are apt to see the present. The angel of the Lord pitches up and says, God is with you, mighty warrior. And today, I want to say, God is with you, mighty warrior. Whatever you're up to, whatever the difficulty you face, whether you're trying to use a wine press for threshing wheat, whatever your fears, God sees your potential. And for many of us, that potential is also an actuality. Those of us that are followers of Jesus are adopted into his family. We have the Spirit of God at the work in us. The same power as raised Christ from the dead. It's just we tend to forget that, don't we? And we live with our present fears. There may be not fears, there may be our concerns, there may be our... That sense in which Satan's reminding you of your past rather than your present reality. If we are followers of Jesus, we have the Spirit of God at work in us. It doesn't mean, though, that we're going to be Spider Man and be able to jump off a building. We still live in a human realm. But it means that we can do what God calls us to do which in Gideon's case was to be a mighty warrior and notice that Gideon doesn't immediately go oh hey the angel's turned up that's great I can go off and be a mighty warrior now notice that Gideon has quite a few arguments And I can imagine that Gideon was rather sarcastic. Pardon me, Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? We'll come to that one. Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about? We've heard all this stuff in history, in other words, but we're not seeing it in the present. So why? Why, why, why would... Why, why on earth do you think I'm a mighty warrior? And, you know, the angel says, go, well, just go in the strength you have. And save Israel. Like, here's the battle plan. Not. Go. Go and do it. It's like my head teacher sometimes. Just go. Get on with it. Anyway, pardon me again, says my Lord. Pardon me says Gideon. How can I save Israel? I'm the smallest of the small. I'm from the weakest land of the weakest thing of the weakest... I'm the weakest link, basically. I'm the weakest link in the chain, guys. And you can't possibly rely on me. But the angel says, uh... He basically says it again. I'm with you. And you will strike them all down and leaving none of them alive. And that's what that verse is. There. I will be with you. Now, I know that this is an Old Testament story, and this is a story that was um, particular to Gideon, but that principle that God is with us is still 
something that we can rely on. Because, as I've just said, those of us who are followers of Jesus have God's Spirit living in us, so God is with us. And no, you probably won't strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive in your lifetime. But you might do something else equally extraordinary for God. And if you read on, and most of you, I guess, at some point in your lives have read on in chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8, you will find an amazing story. First of all, um, Gideon goes off. Uh, and cuts down his father's altar to uh, this false god called Baal. Um, uh, and the people want to have retribution on Baal, uh, on, on Gideon. But Gideon's dad says, let Baal do that, if he can. And then the next thing he does, that he calls the people to war against the Midianites. And the people, you know, having kind of heard about Gideon stand and in cutting down this, this um, idol, 32,000 fighting men turn up. And if you've been through Sunday school, you must know this story, how you know, they whittled it down first to 10,000, because they said all those that are a bit fearful go home, and then all those who lap the water like dogs, you can go home too, and then this 300 people, end of the day, 300 against a Median army that is described as they had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Probably 100,000 plus. 300 people. Oh, with lanterns, jars, and trumpets. That's their weaponry. It's clearly a God thing that they won. Gideon gets the plan from God a bit at a time. First of all, God said, go and cut down that Baal and the Asherah pole. Then God said, call the army. Then God said this, then God said that. Then And Gideon did it every step of the way. He didn't know what step D was when he hadn't done step A. But he had the confidence to know that God would tell him what the next step was. God is bigger than Gideon's fears. God is bigger than your fears, friends. God is bigger than any problem that we think we have. So we're just as the angel noticed and declared... Gideon's potential mighty warrior, which by the end of that, those next chapters he clearly was. God often brings fresh perspectives to your life. I wonder whether we need to take time this week to remind ourselves of some of those statements that God has made already about us. Statements such as, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus.
God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God has allotted us a measure of faith. The Lord is the strength of my life. And I will display strength and take action because I know God. These are direct quotes from the Bible. God has said these kind of things about us. So whatever the fears, whatever the worries, God is bigger than all them. To take a few minutes to look into a New Testament passage too. Um, it's 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's a bit of a long passage. Um, I won't read you all this, but the highlight verse there is there. For the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. They're an interesting triplet, power, love, and self-discipline. But in this first chapter of um, this letter of Paul to Timothy, there's a number of things that Timothy is told to do, and I suggest that we, with Timothy, Timothy are to do those two, um, which are these. Timothy is told to fan into flames the gift of God. He's told not to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. He's to join in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, to keep what he's heard as the pattern of sound teaching, to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Those are the things that Timothy is told to do. But equally, Timothy is told to remember some stuff. And in our remembering, we act as well. That's that highlight verse again. The spirit God gave us does not give us, not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Other things come in verse 9 and 10. For... Paul writes, God has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Just look at that for a minute. God has saved us. God has called us to a holy life. Not because of what we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. That totally puts pay to all those that go, I'm a good person and therefore I think I might go to heaven. It does not work, friends. I do good stuff because I want to go to heaven. No, we have, we are saved, we are called to a holy life because of God's purpose and grace. Because of Jesus' actions. And Jesus' actions are not anything that we have done. Jesus did them, not us. So Jesus dying took on him the sins of the whole world, including your sins, so that we might have restoration with God and be able to be with God in heaven. So that way, we, Paul can write that. Because there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. Praise the Lord. I certainly wouldn't be getting in if that was the case. If that wasn't the case. This grace was given to us was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. 
has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. In other words, this relationship with Jesus stuff is not just for this life. It is for eternity. It is not just some old, now old pop singer singing, I want to live forever. These will give you the proper version later, I'm sure. Um, But it's about us spending eternity with God in heaven. And I just think that's amazing that that happens because of God choosing out of his purpose to be willing to save us. And all we have to do is say yes, please. But let's just stick back with the original point there. The spirit that God gave us, that God gave us, has given us. The spirit of God that resides in us when we come to Christ does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. Now, just look at those three things for me for a moment. Power, love and self-discipline. It's the power of God at work in our lives that gives us the opportunity to say to people, I will pray for you and expect that there would be any answers to that prayer. It's love that binds us together. And frankly, without love, who wants to join? You lot. Sorry, us lot. And self-discipline. Now that's an interesting one, isn't it? It's not all about God, it's partly about us. We're called to be people who are disciplined. Actually, therefore, to respond to the love of God... Which means part of that discipline is about actually choosing to read this. Actually choosing to pray. To talk to this amazing God who loves us. That's what self-discipline's about. And as we do that, we'll break through and past some of these fears that can hold us back. I'm going to end by telling you a short piece of my story. Um, this, you would recall that before the summer I, was, um, I had a sabbatical time, a time away from um, the daily responsibilities of this beautiful place. And um, at one point I went to California and um, joined a, a church group that were going uh, what in their terms is called treasure hunting. Now, um, need to give you the background that treasure hunting to to do this you in small groups pray for words of knowledge about who you're going to meet what they're going to be wearing what their conditions are and you write them down and go out and try and match the people to the words you've had so you might that you and and I'm slightly cynical, so there are times when I think, good grief, you know, have we just made this up? Um, and we just happen to be finding a woman with a pink handbag sitting in a bus station. Um, you know, it'd be more exciting if it was a man with a pink handbag in a bus station. But anyway, um, how, 
However, it's an interesting way in. It's a helpful way in to be then to be able to say to the person who is the woman with the pink handbag in the bus station, excuse me, but we're out trying to listen to what God's up to. Does your left foot hurt? Does your right elbow hurt? Is your name Gina? Is, you know, whatever. And... Or you show them the list and say, you know, do, do, you, do you relate to any of these issues? And um, so I signed up to do this. And as you can imagine, the first time, not even, you can't imagine this, no. But the first time we went out, we ended up in some supermarket in the electricals aisle. Um, and um, I was the one that was nominated to go and talk to this one man who was in the electricals aisle. And... For about a minute, it seemed like three hours, but probably it was only a minute, I stood there and battled internally. It was a terribly un-British thing to do, to go and talk to a random stranger in a supermarket and ask him, and, and not just talk to, but talk about God. And eventually, I kind of had that Dr. Pepper's advert, what is the worst that could happen? Go through my head. And I thought, well, it is the worst, you know? They call security. I get thrown out. I get banned from the store forever. I'm in town for three weeks. I could probably find another supermarket. I'll be all right. So I walked up and I talked to him. And actually, it went really well as a conversation. Um, no, we didn't pray for him. We did, his leg didn't grow. But we had a good conversation about God, and we encouraged him. And... Um, for me, it overcame that fear. And clearly, part of that overcoming, and that's probably why I had to go to California, was because, you know, it was clearly in a situation where, what did I have to lose? Absolutely nothing. But actually, that comes from the Spirit of God not making us timid, but making us, giving us, giving us power, love, and self-discipline. So we're called to walk in that power, to walk in that love, to walk in that self-discipline that comes from this spirit that God gives us. I'll give you some words from Psalm 27. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So this week, will you grow in power, love and self-discipline? Will you therefore remind yourself of your potential in God? And begin to live that out, rather than be focused on the things of earth that pull us down. For me, it comes back to the part of the communion prayer where we say, lift our eyes to the Lord. And the response is, no, lift your eyes to the Lord, and the response is, we lift our eyes to the Lord. Let's do that this week, friends. Jean's going to lead us in a response.